All right, so when I was in college, um, the school I attended, we had the privilege of having a lot of international students studying at this college. So we had students from all parts of the world coming and studying. So it was really beautiful to sit in the student body uh, meetings and just see all these nations uh, represented in the room right here in Canada. And I was one of those international students as well. I brought the color to the place. <laughs> so it was phenomenal. It was amazing. But it wasn't all that good um, as well, like holistically. In this, and this is what I mean. So we had a student who came from a different part of the world, so he was an international student who had come. A wonderful guy, nice guy, Christian brother, seeking to, to, to be a pastor. And so he wanted to study, to study the Word of God, to study the principles of being a pastor and all that. So it's great. So he, so he came, and he's all excited about being in Canada and things like that, but he didn't quite fit in to the student body well. Now, the reason why he didn't fit in is because, for one, he was a little quirky. He's just a different guy. And, and by that I mean, you know, have you ever been in, in huddles with friends? And you're chatting about a specific thing, and everybody's waiting for their window of opportunity in the conversation so that you can jump in and chime into the conversation, add your two cents to it? Well, this guy would be waiting, as everybody would, for his opportunity, and then he'll jump in, and of course every, everyone will now focus on him, and he'll open his mouth, and what comes out... What he will say has nothing to do with what you're discussing. So it's kind of awkward. <laughs> do you know people like this? Yeah. You probably have people like this. Maybe you're the one. You're one of those people who says something weird. So this guy did this frequently. You know, you give him that opportunity to say something, it's just weird. And kind of, okay, well, we don't know what to do with that, so we'll leave it alone. And not only that, now the country he came from, water was very scarce. And so people were... Um, you, you, you had to really take care of the water you have because it's precious. It's, it, it's not easy. It's just harder to get a cold glass. It's hard to have a good shower, hard. So from a country where he came from, you know, people would shower once every three, four days, that kind of thing. So he thought, coming to Canada, of course, Canada, we are blessed with a ton of water. Like some of you probably showered for half an hour. Shame on you. <laughs> so... Um, you know, in Canada, we have a ton of water, right? So he thought, though, that, hey, he is doing the community a great service to be very careful with the amount of water he's using. So he decides he'll only shower once every five days. And he'll only do his laundry once in a while, so you'll really use that T-shirt for a long time before it actually sees any water. Because this is the culture it comes from. Water is very precious. You have to use as little as you can, just enough for the needs, and then wait a while. So, of course, when he would come close to you, my goodness, there would also be his whole self will come. The, <laughs> the body order was just, wow, and then some. So this is who this guy was. He was quirky. He would just chime in things that don't have nothing to do with the conversation, and man, the aroma, the smell, the body order was there. And so a lot of students then decided, you know what, we will just begin to slowly back away from this guy because he is different. And not only that, sometimes he, be, he, he was judgmental of Canadian culture. 
You know, for example, uh, the country where he comes from, having a glass of wine with your meal, maybe you and your significant other are out celebrating your anniversary or something, or your wedding, and, and everybody's toasting the bride or toasting the groom, and you have real wine. For him, oh, that's the devil. You don't touch alcohol. It's the devil. How dare you do that? And you're a Christian. See, that's what Christians in his country did. And so he brought that here. To which people are like, hey, you know what? You don't have to be that judgmental. Oh, but he totally was. Say, you're leading me to stumble, he would say. So people began just to take a step away from him. And all of a sudden, every time the students would be huddled talking about, you know, the school vacation or Christmas holiday, whatever, and, and catching up with friends, and then you'd see him come. Everybody has an excuse of some sort. Oh, I got to go to the library. Oh, I got to go to class. I got to go to meet so-and-so. I got to go to the office. And he would be left there alone. And he was basically unwelcome. Now, the group didn't sit down and say, hey, you know what, let's unwelcome this guy. Let's, let's make him just feel like an outcast. No, but slowly people kind of like, I don't think I want to hang out with this guy. I'm not going to invite him to my place because the, when he leaves, I'll still be smelling him the whole night. So people kind of like started to stay away from him. Why? Because many of us, we prefer to hang out with people who are very much like us, people who have the same interests like us, people who love the same things, have the same values. And those who are not like us, we kind of tend to marginalize them. You see, Paul addresses this issue in Romans 15, from, from verse 1 all the way to verse 7. He will talk about how we need, as Christian brothers and sisters, we need to live in harmony one with another. We need to welcome one another, accept each other, even though we may have differences. And there are some who will be strong and others who will weak, be weak in certain areas. We need to welcome one another. And Romans 15 verse 7 will say we need to accept or we need to welcome one another as Christ welcomed you. You need to welcome everyone, welcome each other as Christ welcomed or accepted each and every one of you. So the question then becomes, what's the motivation? What's the motivation to welcome others this way? That's the passage we are looking at today. This will be first, uh, not first, Romans chapter 15, verse 8 to 13. Romans 15, 8 to 13 will give us two motivations as to why it is we ought to accept each other as Christ has accepted us. Motivation number one, Christ came to save all people. Christ came to save all people. He came to save you. He came to save the other person. Christ came to save everyone, accepted everyone, even though we are all unacceptable because of our habits. Christ accepted us. So because he accepted us, in turn, likewise, we ought to accept others. Second motivation, Christ brings joy, peace, and hope. Christ brings joy, peace, and hope will be the second motivation, and I'll talk about that when we get to that point. So I'll read the text, Romans chapter 15, verse 8 to 13, and then we'll unpack it. Verse 8, remember, so Paul is telling these people, now remember the gospel, live this way, accept other, other people, here's why. Remember that Christ came as a servant to the Jews 
to show that God is true to the promises he made to their ancestors. He also came that the Gentiles might give glory to God for his mercies to them. That is what the psalmist meant when he wrote, For this I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing praises to your name. And in another place it is written, Rejoice with his people, you Gentiles. And yet again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Praise him, all you people of the earth. And in another place, Isaiah, the prophet, said, the heir to David's throne will come and he will rule over the Gentiles. They, the Gentiles, will place their hope in him. I pray, Paul is now praying, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. There ends the reading of God's word. So motivation number one as to why it is we ought to accept all peoples. Christ came to save all people. And that will be the Jews and the Gentiles alike. I am drawing this from verse 8 and 9, which say, remember that Christ came as a servant to the Jews to show that God is true to the promises he made to the ancestors. He also came so that the Gentiles, so Jew, Gentile, might give glory to God for his mercies to them. Christ came to save all people. So I have a friend of mine who, many years ago uh, in Africa, he had a huge heart for the disenfranchised people of the community. So if you've ever been to Africa, we, uh, many African capital, uh, capital cities have street children. And these street children become street children because they ran away from home or they were abandoned by their families. So those who are abandoned, maybe mom and dad, can no longer take care of these kids. And it's becoming too expensive. So the mom will just kind of, or the dad might just take the, the child to the city and then just tell the child, hey, wait for me here. Let me just run to this office. Come and get you. Dad will disappear. And the kid is left, and that's the end of it. Or some of these children would be abused at home. All sorts of abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, you name it. Like significant abuse. And so these kids... To, to, to save themselves, they'll run away from home, and they'll go to the streets. Now, to survive in the streets, we are talking kids from 6 years old to about 15, 16 years old. So these are kids still. For them to survive, obviously, it's survival for the fittest. If you're a weak kid, man, you will die of starvation. So you have to fight, you have to claw for every single muscle of bread you get. And it would be very unsafe for you and I to walk down the streets, down a dark alley at night when these kids are there. There'll be a mob of 50 of them. Yes, I'm a strong guy, but there's no way I can fight all 50 kids who have knives and clubs and stones and everything like that coming to rob me of everything I have. And this is how these kids survive anyway. So my friend decided, you know what? Rather than just folding our arms and just saying, these kids are a menace and we need to take care of these kids. Rather than doing this, why... We need, to, we need to, to show these kids love. This is not normal for kids to live in the streets and be so vicious and have little gangs like this. It's not normal. We've got to love these kids. And I'm a Christian. The gospel compels me to do something about it. So he began a street children's ministry. He began going to these kids and loving on them and things like that. And, and at first they rejected him, but he kept on coming and kept on coming. And they softened up to him, softened up to him. So he gathered 50 of them and brought them to a Christian camp. 
and he had raised money, and so he organized to have meals served for these kids. This is now the first meal, these kids, like the first normal meal that these kids are engaging. Well, you should have seen what the dining hall looked like the first meal. Because these kids were literally like just rats. Like they were everywhere, and they were fighting for, each, for, for every single um, uh, a piece of bread or, or, or chicken or whatever. Like the dining room was a mess. And yet there was so much food. There was more food that they would have gotten seconds and thirds and fourths and fifths. But they kept fighting and fighting and fighting with one another. But he began to coach them and train them. He taught them, this is how you use the facilities, the bathrooms. Oh, you should have seen the bathrooms. They were horrible. But he was trying to train them and coach them. This is how you do it. But a few of them got the vision. And they realized, that, hey, we're being given an opportunity here. But others didn't. Yes, they came and they ate and they still fought. They still swore. They stole. They lied. They would not use the facilities the way they were taught to. They loved the street more than they did normal life. And the, the more he tried, the worse they got. You see, the nation of Israel was the same way. Where God chose the nation of Israel, God shows up to, uh, to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and tells him, Hey, Abraham, come. Leave your father's house and I'll take you to this land that I'll show you and I'll give it to your ancestors. And your ancestors will be, I'll make you into a great nation and many people who will, who will come from your lineage. And I'll be their God, and they'll be my people, and I'll bless, and all these things God gives. Now, why did God choose Abraham? Just because. It's not because Abraham worshipped God. No, in fact, Abraham's father, Abraham grew up in a home where his dad was an idol worshipper. So why did God choose Abraham? Just because. And so the nation of Israel, God blessed them and continued to lavish blessing and blessing and gives this forever and ever and ever promises to them. And yet this nation blessed and God is favoring them and God is doing amazing things through them and yet they continue to reject this God. And they worshipped idols and gave praise to these idols for the salvation that God himself is granting them. And you're, as you're reading the Old Testament, you're wondering, what is wrong with these people? They continued to reject God, continued to reject God. If you were God, if I was God, of course I'd have said, you know what, I'm done. These people, I keep loving them, I keep showing them my grace and my favor, and all I'm asking, just acknowledge me. No, they're not. And they choose to be defiant against me. And yet you have verse 8. Remember that Christ came as a servant to the Jews to show that God is true to the promises he made to their ancestors. See, Christ welcomed them. God accepted them. Even when they were nasty, they were rejecting they wanted nothing to do with God, and yet God continued to show, hey, here's an olive branch. I will remember my promises. I shouldn't because you're wicked and sinful, but I will still remember. God accepted them even when they were unacceptable. Now, you may sit there and say, oh, man, these Jews, what was wrong with them? Like, really? Like, you would see the exodus, all these plagues, you know, the ten plagues, and the 
All of those things in the book of Exodus. Man, you see all these things. Exodus 4 all the way to 10. Wow. God is doing amazing things. What is wrong with these people? You know, you and I are the same way. Notice verse 9. He also came so that the Gentiles, Gentiles are non-Jews. So if you don't have any Jewish lineage in you, yeah, you're a Gentile. So Christ came so that the Gentiles might give glory to God. Why? Why give glory to God? For his mercies. For his mercies. To them. So God will be merciful to the Gentiles. Why? Because Gentiles do the same thing. Let me bring it home a little bit. So if you're looking at the screen, yeah, come a little closer. Do you really love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength? Would you say that you love God this way? Do you deserve... God's grace, meaning unmerited favor. Do you deserve God's grace or God's mercy? Do you deserve it? Because sometimes when things go haywire in our lives, we're like, why did God let me, why did God allow this to happen? Okay, do you deserve God's unmerited favor and grace? Do you? Do you deserve it? Let me ask another question. So I want you just to think, okay? So pretend we're in a coffee shop and I'm asking you this question. So, what is the one thing, what is the one thing in your life that if you got it, this thing that you're pursuing, this thing that makes you wake up every day, go to work, put up with your coworkers and your boss and the demands, Struggle, struggle, struggle if you work outside all this cold and the wind and the rain and the winter. What are you pursuing? This thing. If you got this thing that you're chasing, what is this thing that you're pursuing? That if you got, you would say, in your heart of hearts, you'd say, now my life has meaning. Now my life has worth. What's this one thing? Some people may say, you know, it's money. If we could only make a million dollars in sales, if I could only make enough money to buy that house, if only I had that kind of a spouse, if I only had my kids who are now in the NHL or on the way to, the, to be drafted, if only I had, if only I had, what's this one thing that would make you say that my life has meaning, my life has worth? What is that one thing? Is that one thing God? Or is that one thing something else? Where you're now finding your worth in other things and not God. Let me take a step further. You know, we find ourselves praying for this one thing. Lord, I pray, open the door for me to get this job. Lord, open the door so that this can happen and that can happen and that can happen. Lord, help me, Lord, because if this happens... If that happens, then man, I will be so happy. I will be so satisfied. I'll be successful. I'll be, it'll be wonderful if this one thing happens. God help me. In other words, you're asking God now to be the vehicle to lead you to your idol. 
See how wicked we are? You and I do this a lot. As a preacher, I would say, oh, Lord, help me preach a sermon in such a way that everybody thinks that I'm awesome, way awesome than Jeff. <laughs> Is preaching a bad thing? No. But if I'm going to get my value and worth in preaching in such a way that you think I'm awesome, well, it becomes an idol. See how you can take something good to make it an idol? See, this is who we are. This is what we do. This is what... Now that we worship idols, what should God do to us? You and I would say judgment, right? And yet, verse 9, he also came so that the Gentiles, you and I, might give glory to God for what? For His mercy. His grace and His forgiveness. Towards us, you see, we are rebel toward God. We are rebellious, we are rebellious, we are rebellious. And yet, and yet, and yet, He continues to welcome us. And He continues to accept us. There are things we do, we stink like, we stink to high heaven. Our actions stink to high heaven. And yet God continues to welcome. God continues to accept you and I. So likewise, if Christ then continues to welcome us, even as we sting to high heaven, in the same way then, we are to accept and welcome others, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we? We welcome others and live in harmony with them because Christ came to save all people. Christ accepted everyone. Those who are weird, those who are quirky, those who stink, and those who are just like us. He came for all of us, and he accepts all of us. Likewise, we accept everyone, because Christ saved all nations. He saves all nations, all cultures, everyone from different socioeconomic backgrounds. He saves. So motivation number one for accepting people, Christ came to save. Christ came to save both Jew and Gentile. Second motivation, Christ brings joy, peace, and hope. Christ brings joy, peace, and hope. What do I mean by this? Okay. If, in fact, point number one is true, if motivation number one is true, and motivation number one being Christ came so that the Gentiles might give glory to God for his mercy, if that is true, and if then, because Christ did this, we need to welcome people who are not like us, accept them as Christ accepted them. If that is true, then that should motivate us toward evangelism. It should motivate us toward missions, shouldn't it? If the Gentiles are to give glory to God for his mercies, how will they do that if they don't know this message? How? Or listen to what the psalmist will say. Verse 10. Rejoice with his people, you Gentiles. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Praise, you, all, praise him, all you people of the earth. Isaiah would say, the heir to David's throne will come, and he will rule over the Gentiles, and they will place their hope in him. They, the Gentiles, will place their hope 
in Christ. How are they going to place their hope in Christ if you and I don't tell them what this hope is? The, the gospel message, God created, man rebelled, Christ came and redeemed, and he'll come back again and make all things new. How will they put their hope in God if you and I don't go and share the gospel? The only way the Gentiles will now praise God, the only way they would put their hope in him is if we go. But you know what? It's not that easy to go now, is it? It's not easy. Because the moment you and I open our mouths and we tell our next door neighbor, who comes from a different part of the world, about Jesus, oh my word, and particularly if this neighbor has his own religion, oh my, how would that go? Not just your neighbor, your coworker. Not just your coworker, your family member. What if you're to tell them about Jesus? Not in a shove it in their face, but you are gentle and kind and winsome and, and loving. You do it over coffee and cookies that you made in your own house, in your backyard, or in your living room. How will that go? It might not go well sometimes, right? Or, hey, you feel the call of God. I'm going to go to do missions cross-culturally, and I'm going to go to an unreached country where I'm going to share the gospel with unreached people. Uh, some of them will not accept what you're going to say. So I'll give you a story. Many of you have a, a subscription to Netflix. So uh, there is this series on Netflix called Captive. Very, very, this is, this is a hard watch. This series is a hard watch. Why? Because the stories, very different stories about uh, different individuals who have been taken captive, who have been abducted for ransom. They are now hostages. And those people who have taken them captive are now looking for ransom. The fourth episode in this series, documentary series, will tell a story of a couple, Martin and Gracia Bunham. Martin and Gracia had been serving in the Philippines for 17 years as missionaries. Martin was a missionary pilot working for an organization. This organization had missionaries on the ground in rural areas, right in the jungle where the ro roads don't go. So these are locals who live in the jungles, in the mountains, in the, right in the thick bushes. And so Martin would fly supplies to the various missionaries who were now embedded in the community in these bush areas. And he'd be flying um, water and food and groceries and Bibles and all the rest of it in. So he'd been there 17 years. Anyway, he and his, he and, he and his wife, they have kids. He and his wife were now celebrating one of the anniversaries, wedding anniversaries. So they decided, you know what, we'll save up and then we'll go to this resort in, in the Philippines where we'll just stay there for the weekend, celebrate our honeymoon and just thank God for his faithfulness toward us as a couple and also for his faithfulness in the ministry we are doing. Anyway, so they, so they go to this um, resort. So they are there, they're excited, they have dinner, they just hang out with each other and then they go to bed hoping the next morning they'll enjoy and explore and all this, enjoy the water and that kind of thing. Well, at 4 a.m., I'd knock on the door. <laughs> Who is it? Another knock. 
And Martin wakes up, they're looking at each other. Before he gets to the door, the door is kicked open, and there stands one of the rebel leaders of a militant group called Abu Sayyaf, a terrorist group. And Abu Sayyaf takes uh, Western, Westerners, you don't have to be a missionary, just a Westerner. They'll take you hostage and have your country pay ransom so that Abu Sayyaf could use the ransom to further its agenda. They were affiliated with Al-Qaeda. This is 2001 in May. So the Burnhams were taken, so were other, missionary, other, other Westerners who were in the resort. They were all taken captive. And then began a long march. And now in this documentary, it'll also show the Burnham family and, and their reactions. And they're talking about what, the emotion, what emotions were going through their minds and things like that. Well, it so happened that one of the Westerners who was taken captive with the Burnhams was killed. And so this now made the family's hearts go sink further. And of course, Grace and Martin, at the same time, they are like, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? We came here because we love the people of Philippines. We wanted to share the, the gospel with them. We, we believed that, hey, the Gentiles need to place their hope in Christ. And in order for them to do that, they need to hear. We are here so that they would hear the gospel. And now here we are, hiking in this forest. One week turned into one month, one month turned into a year, and they're still hiking and evading the, 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 um, the, the, the officials, the locals, the, 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 the army of the Philippines who are trying to track them down. While the rebel leader is asking for ransom, what would you do? You, that was your family member who's been taken hostage. Better yet, what would you do if you were the one taken hostage? You are there to share Jesus. And now the people who are with you, the other, your other fellow hostages, are being killed, beheaded, in front of you. What do you do? You would lose hope. And Grace in this, in this show says how she's, she loses hope and the fight leaves you. And you wonder, Lord, why? And you begin to hate these people who are bringing all this pain to you and your family. But what is interesting is these rebels are the ones who are shielding you from the bullets of the good guys who are coming to save you. So now, who's the good guy and who's the bad guy? Because the good guys are shooting and this bullet could kill us. And the rebels are shielding us by firing back. What now? What now? See, the question that comes to our minds is, why would anyone put themselves in harm's way like that? Why would I leave the comforts of Canada and go to a foreign country and put myself in harm's way like that? Why? Why would I do this? Why would we pray for missionaries to go to these parts of the world? Why? Bringing it closer to home, why would you share the gospel with your co-workers when you know very well the moment you open your mouth and tell them that you believe in Jesus and that they need to believe in Jesus too? Oh my goodness, you will be marginalized. They'll want nothing to do with you. If anything, depending on the kind of job you are, they'll find an excuse to fire you. So why would you open your mouth? Why would you say stuff? 
I believe in Jesus. Why? It's better. It's safer. Just keep your mouth shut, head down, do your work. Believe in Jesus. It's easier, isn't it? Well, what's the motivation? Again, remember point number one. Remember the gospel. Jesus went to the cross on your account. And not just yours, on the account of everybody. Jesus went to the cross. He endured the scorn and shame. That was meant for you and me. Christ went to the cross on your account. He did. Remember the gospel. This morning will be communion elements are here. So yes, when Christ went to the cross, what did he fulfill? He paid your ransom. He paid for your redemption. And then he assures you eternal life, does he not? So no matter what happens to you here, scorned, marginalized, fired, what, killed, it doesn't matter. Why? Because eternity is guaranteed for you. Is it not? So your story doesn't end here. Doesn't. It doesn't end here. So remember the gospel. But second motivation, look at the prayer, verse 13. I pray, Paul says, that God, the source of hope, who's the source of hope? The ones who will come and rescue you? No. Your money? No. Your influence? No. That's not the source of hope. God, God who's the source of hope, we pray that God will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. He will fill you completely with joy and peace. Question, why joy and peace? Why is he praying that God would fill you completely with joy and peace? I'll give you an illustration here. When I was growing up, I was about eight years old at the time, and uh, I had this stomach bug. Oh, this bug terrorized me. One night, I just woke up wailing, and it was like there was, there was a knife in my belly just turning. And I, I was firing from both ends. It was nasty. I couldn't keep anything down, and I began to lose weight rapidly and dehydrate rapidly. Water couldn't stay. Food couldn't stay. Loose stomach like you wouldn't believe. And my parents were really worried. Now, I was a little chubby when I was growing up. So my mom, my mom and dad, it's 2 a.m. in the morning. I'm yelling on top of my, my lungs. My parents are concerned. What's wrong with this guy? And he's firing from both ends. We got to take him to the hospital. So my dad had to carry me on his shoulder because I couldn't walk. I was eight years old. Couldn't walk because of the pain. And this is Africa. No streetlights, nothing. And so we had to walk. And we live in the ghetto. So we had to walk to the bus stop and praying that bandits don't come and rob us. And my dad is trying to tell me, shush, son, be quiet, be quiet. And I'm yelling on top of my lungs because 2 a.m. We get to the hospital, the doctors see me, another doctor, another doctor. No one knows what's going on with me. And this went on for weeks. We're seeing one doctor after another after another, and I'm losing weight, losing weight, can't eat anything. And my parents there was this just look of horror in their face. Our son is going to die. Our son is going to die. Then one doctor said, hey, you know what? There's a British expatriate doctor who's doing some research. Maybe you should see him. So we go. 
you see this doctor, he examines me, he pokes and pokes, and pokes my belly button and everywhere else, poking, poking, and then he, he, he looks at my mom and dad and says, I have treated a case like this. It's a long road, but this case is treatable. Your son will be fine. But you just need to come and see me every week for at least two years. You should have seen the look on my parents' face. There was joy and there was peace. In a hopeless situation where all hope was gone, here is a professional, an expert, a specialist who says, I have seen this case before, I can treat this. Just need to come and see me every week and this boy will be well. And sure I have, here I am. See, my parents placed their hope and trust in the doctor. They trusted him because the doctor knew what he was doing. See, for the Christian, when you're going through all these difficulties and challenges, when you're in the middle of the jungle, walking as a hostage, and the rebel leaders are asking for ransom that your people don't have or won't give, where all hope is gone. When you go to Christ, who's the expert physician, the rescuer, the savior and Lord, and you pray to him, this God will give you joy and peace because he will remind you, your story is not over yet. And even if they kill you, their killing you will usher you into glory that will give you joy upon joy upon joy upon joy. Story's not over yet. If anything, glory awaits you. And that should bring about in you joy and peace. Even in the midst of the storm. Joy and peace even in the midst of the storm. And so once you remember the gospel, what awaits you, then, verse 13, towards the tail end, you will overflow with confident hope, like my mom now, confident hope. Yes, Ezra is screaming and yelling, but he'll be fine. He'll be fine. He's yelling, he'll be fine. The doctor said, he'll be fine. You will overflow with confident hope. Through the power of the Spirit of God. See, the story ends of uh, Martin and Gracia. They had been trekking for more than a year in the jungle, hungry, wet, cold, lost a lot of weight because their nutrition was terrible. And they had been trekking, trekking, and then one day, you know, the clouds formed as they usually do, and the rains came, and they set up the tarps and sat underneath as they are waiting for the rains to go. And Gracia was so tired and just, she was like, Martin, I'm done. I am so done. And he turns to her and reminds her of Psalm 100. Let us serve the Lord with gladness. And she looked at her and says, honey, I know that this doesn't seem like for the last year we've been serving the Lord. But we are here. And the Lord knew that we would be here in this situation, trekking in this mountain for the last year and more. But while we are here, let us serve our Lord with gladness. That was the last thing he ever said to her. Why? Because after he said that, they just chilled and relaxed and waited for the rains to come. And before the rains, as they were just subsiding, all of a sudden, gun battle. 
the authorities had already caught up with the bandits, with this, uh, with this rebel group. And they exchanged bullets, and one of the bullets hit Martin in the chest, and Gracious saw her husband, the love of her life, a fellow missionary, die in front of her. Now, if that were to happen, many people would be very bitter. We came to the Philippines to do ministry. I did not come here to lose my husband. My kids did not come here to lose their father. I regret having left the States to come here to live my life and to try and love people and serve God only to lose my husband. We had prayed and prayed and prayed that the Lord would re- re- release us, but would go back to our family. And now I'm the only one going, and I have to now leave my husband here, dead. See, that was not her response. That all happened in 2001. In 2018, I watched a video where she was being interviewed by a pastor. She had visited this pastor's church, and she was sharing her testimony. And this lady said how she has no regrets no regrets for having gone to the Philippines because she believed that these people needed to hear the gospel. The Gentiles needed to hear the gospel so that they would place their hope in him. And yes, it cost her husband's life. But because of the hope of the gospel, she knows she will see him one day. She didn't lose him because she knows where he is. And one day she will go and be with him. She will see him again and see the Savior Lord whom they were trusting. Now you may say, oh my, she's an amazing person. Like, I don't know if I would do that. I don't know what, if if I would do that. Again, pay attention to verse 13. And you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, it is the Holy Spirit who's enabling her to be this way. It's not that this woman is just that amazing. Many times we see strong Christians who are going through difficult circumstances and we say, I don't know if I could do that if it was me. I don't know if I could do that. Yes, you can't do that. And they can't do that too. The only one who enables them to do that is the Spirit of God. It's only the Spirit of God. So this idea of accepting other people and living in harmony with other Christians... And living your life in such a way that you're blessing to them, even those people whom you never hang out with. The only one who enables you and I to do this is the power of the Spirit of God. The power of the Spirit of God. So this year, as we pray, even tonight as you come back, and as we pray, we want to pray, Lord, fill us with your Spirit. Help us to be accepting to our fellow brothers and sisters, but also accepting of other people who are unlike us as we share the gospel with them. And as we share, yes, things will get hot for us, but Lord, again, we will keep our eye on the gospel. And remember what awaits us. Why? Because we strongly believe that the Gentiles need to place their hope in Christ. So may God, who is the source of hope, Fill you and I completely with joy and peace because we trust in him. And may we then overflow with confident hope through the power of the Spirit of God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the reminder of the gospel. And Lord, sometimes we get all focused on our own stuff. 
But Father, I ask in Jesus' name, would you help us to be accepting and welcoming of others the same way you, you accepted and welcomed us into your family, not only to fellow believers who might be different for us, from us, but Lord, may we be welcoming particularly to those who are outside of the faith and grant us the boldness and courage to articulate the gospel. And yes, Father, in doing so, we might receive or might get some pushback and, and harsh treatment and persecution in some cases. But Father, even then, as we go through the persecutions that we may encounter, Father, I pray that you remind us the gospel. Remind us of the gospel. Remind us of the gospel, Father. That glory awaits us. And that, yes, it might be difficult on this side of eternity, but Father, on the other side, you will make all things beautiful because you're the conquering king. Lord, I pray even as we begin this year, Fill us all with your spirit of God. And those who don't know you, Father, would you, would you welcome them into the family? And would you help us to articulate the gospel to them in a loving, winsome, persuasive way? Commend ourselves now to you, Father, in Jesus' name.